You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm drawing our meditation this evening from a parallel passage in the Gospel, from Luke chapter 22. And I'm centering our thoughts on the ultimate family meal that is represented by the Lord's Supper. Jesus describes this Last Supper in three ways. The meaning of the meal is rooted in the Exodus Passover. God, through Moses, gave this advice, this counsel, this command to the people. Each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there. Until Jesus died on the cross, the epicenter of redemption was the Passover. It signified the sacrifice that was to come. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus is introduced by John the Baptist as, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the first meaning, a meaning rooted in salvation history. The second meaning is that this was a farewell meal. Jesus said to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In that sense, the whole range of salvation history, from Passover to the consummation of our salvation in the presence of the triune God. The third meaning of this Last Supper was the ultimate sacrificial meal. The meaning of this meal is defined by Jesus, the Anointed One, as that sacrifice, sacrificial meal. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup after they had eaten. The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And as was read, the apostle said, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we eat this meal, we celebrate the ultimate family meal for the people of God. We celebrate the ultimate sacrificial meal. And we celebrate this meal with an expectation, an anticipation of eating it once again in the very presence of our Lord and Savior. I used to think as a teenager that in celebrating and experiencing the Eucharist, 
I had to bring a passion to the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup. That somehow I had to be in a certain emotional state, an emotional state of appreciation and a comprehension of the depth of God's sacrifice for us. And then in college, a Latin American missionary one night was showing slides of his work uh, in Colombia. And I went to the presentation and all the slides were of crucifixes, agonizing, gory pictures of Jesus on the cross, a lot of blood. And I realized that I was doing the same thing mentally that the artist was trying to do in sculpture and in painting is bring my passion to the table. And that night, something that the missionary said clicked with me that it isn't my passion, but it's Christ's passion for me. That the focus need not be on the emotion I bring, but the emotion is created by just a comprehension of what God in Christ has done for me. A second misunderstanding I think that I had of the table was that it was a very private and individual act. And I was a collection of individuals experiencing the Lord's table. Well now I've come to realize that we experience the Lord's table as a body of believers. That the real presence of Christ is among us, sisters and brothers in Christ. And that we experience this family meal. And we can't do it individualistically. We have to do it as part of the body of Christ. Family meals are always intentional. Someone goes to a lot of work to put on a meal. Somebody makes the menu, purchases the food, prepares the food, gathers the people together. Uh, and we may not always be equal as we sit at the table in terms of equally gifted or equally responsible for the well-being of the family, but we all are equal in the sense that we have a right to sit at that table. As I was growing up, uh, and then as we had a family, I saw the kitchen table as the Lord's table. Uh, probably more debate and discussion and humor and prayer and scripture reading happened around our kitchen table, both my early years of growing up as well as uh, parenting. And that to me is a picture of a Eucharistic-like experience that culminates then in the body of Christ in the church. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. grew up in a home where table fellowship was really important. His father was the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, and Martin Luther King Sr. expected his children to come to the table with a Bible verse and a perspective on the day's news. Family meals are intentional, but there's no meal that is more extraordinarily intentional than the Eucharist than Christ's family meal, this ultimate family meal. The grand sweep of salvation history 
And I like to think that it began over lunch with Abraham near the Oak of Mamre when God, I think the triune God, visited Abraham and explained again to him the meaning of his covenant and continued then with the Exodus, the Passover lamb, and it continues to today where the past, present, and future of this Eucharistic meal is celebrated. From start to finish, on that last supper evening, Jesus takes charge. He chooses the room. He sends Peter and John off to prepare. He washes the disciples' feet. He serves them the bread, serves them the cup. Jesus is in command of the conversation. And what a conversation it was. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. In the midst of this meal, he promises the Holy Spirit. He speaks of the hatred of the world. He says, in the world you will have great tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Preparing the food, preparing the conversation, everything about this meal is in one sense extraordinary. But you also know that it was a tension-filled meal. It's the seventh meal in the Gospel of Luke. Seven meals have built up to this, and all seven are filled with tension. In all of them, in all of them, somebody is taking Jesus on. And so I like to think that Jesus had been really, you know, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He also learned a calmness in the light of this ministry of meals. And so on the night, this night, where he's going to be betrayed and denied and abandoned, he's going to be arrested by the very people that should be acknowledging that he is the anointed one, the Messiah. On that night, he's completely calm. He saves all the anxiety, all the emotion, all the intensity for Gethsemane with the Father. But here among the disciples, he keeps his cool and instructs them, prepares them, comforts them, encourages them. There's pressure on the outside with the religious leaders wanting to arrest him. There's pressure on the inside with the ultimate insider, Judas, going to betray him. What other meal illustrates best you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? There was never any doubt in Jesus' mind how he felt. He rejoiced to be able to eat this Passover meal with them. I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What comes to mind when I think of Jesus' calmness, even though knowing what was about to happen, when we were celebrating the 50th wedding anniversary of Paul and Mary Long, Virginia's parents. My mother-in-law, Mary, was diagnosed with multiple myeloma two weeks before the family gathered. 
and she did not share that she had been diagnosed with terminal cancer until the last supper, the last meal. She didn't want to spoil the three or four days that we were all going to be together. And she did that out of tremendous grace and maturity, very characteristic of who she was. Uh, And I see Jesus, a calmness that I want to learn from, a calmness around this life experience of living under the cross and in the light of the resurrection. There was never any doubt as to the meaning of the meal for Jesus. As I said, it's not our passion, but it's Christ's passion for us. And never any doubt about the future. This Last Supper is a family meal, it's a sacrificial meal, it's a farewell meal. One popular American pastor has written about the church, church being more like a restaurant than a house, a family. And he writes this, it is wonderful to have a home-cooked meal, but you'd never go to another person's house to eat it unless first invited. Even if you had a good time, you can't forget that you're an outsider. All the family members know one another very well. They have regular places to sit. They have an inside humor you don't always catch. And when the meal is over, they stay and you leave. Everything is on their terms, not yours. A restaurant is different. Restaurants cater to outsiders. They exist for outsiders. Customers always get the best tables. They set their own schedule and leave when they choose. I'd suggest to you that we as a church certainly want to be open and welcoming and gracious and not make people feel like outsiders. But we don't have a menu to choose from. We don't cater to a variety of spiritual tastes. We got one meal. One meal. And that's all we have to offer. As Jesus said after feeding the 5,000, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And that's still very, very true. We got one meal. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of yourself for your real presence in the body of Christ, for our understanding of all that this meal signifies. Thank you, Lord, for your atoning sacrifice. Thank you that it's a farewell meal in anticipation of us and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Together we thank you. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.